Hello and welcome to episode number 223 of the Lions podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined by Stephen Andrus. And guys, we are going to talk some NFC West. If you want some golf talk, skip all the way to the very, very end. Quick little two minutes on what we're looking at this week in golf. So you can go ahead and head towards the end if you want just that information. But instead, we're going to spend the majority of this podcast talking the NFC Wes, if you want to follow Steven on the Twitter machine, at StevenAnch1. You want to follow me, at MattBrownM2. And of course, as always, everything we do at the Lions is absolutely free. So go in, subscribe, rate, review, do all the different things at the various stages. Audio side of things, YouTube side of things. Go over to the Discord, join there. Everything we do is free. So be a part of the community and hopefully win you some money this year in the NFL as well. So Steven, as we take a look here, At the NFC West, we wanted to kind of start with the team where we're looking around going, I mean, you know, we think we kind of know what this team is all about. But at the same time, it could be drastically different if the quarterback situation doesn't play out like they're leading us to believe. And that is going to be the Los Angeles Rams. And with this Los Angeles Rams squad, We're sitting here going, okay, they're just being extremely cautious with Matthew Stafford. He's got a ton of, he got an incredible amount of experience. There's no reason for them to do anything out of the ordinary with Matthew Stafford. But then you start to hear, you know, the quote coming out that it was a air quote weird injury for a quarterback. And you start to go, huh, I don't really like to hear someone say that it's a weird injury for a quarterback. And then they're being extra cautious with John Walford as well because they don't want to get him injured and all this. And so he doesn't play in the preseason game. And then you start going, huh, why are they, why are they protecting John Walford so much? Like that seems a little <laughs> odd as well. So it does make me start to at least have to consider what we may or may not want to do in this division from a betting standpoint. I mean, listen, I'm, even with John Walford is never going to be the Seahawks. The best number you can get on them is 22 to one. If you're looking to bet the Seahawks for the division, don't do it. I don't know why you would do it, but anyway, 22 to one on the Seahawks, but the Cardinals are sitting out there. You can find a four to one on the Cardinals. You can find a plus plus one eighty on the 49ers. The best number you can find on the Rams is a plus one twenty five. I mean, I know you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I've actually done zero minutes of medical school, actually. So I have not I don't know anything about any of this stuff. But what I can say is what we hear isn't at least incredibly encouraging. For sure. But I will say, Matt, that the the latest news we have, we're recording this on August the 17th and Matthew Stafford returned to practice and was throwing the ball on August 16th. So if there was even a little bit of concern that this could be something that gets worse or cost him regular season games. Potentially. I don't think they're having him out there practicing on August the 16th, three, four weeks before the regular season starts. So I am more optimistic that Matthew Stafford is going to be okay for the season than I initially was. I was just as concerned as you were when all the news initially came out, but he practiced, he was throwing on August the 16th on Tuesday and, 
And the quote from Sean McVay to reporters was, I thought he had great energy, great command all day. I thought he threw the ball incredibly accurately in all parts of the field, really activated all parts of our pass game. There were a couple where he's hitting the spots we want, and we just have to be able to finish some of those Mm -hmm. plays. I'm encouraged because we can coach off of those and we're getting, you know, so some more talk coach speak there. But the, the greater point to me is that if this was any concern whatsoever, if this was like what we saw with Dak Prescott last year, they didn't practice him at all. They didn't play him in the preseason at all with that weird shoulder thing. They were bringing in guys from the Texas Rangers to help with it. The fact that Stafford already was back practicing on August the 16th is encouraging to me. Yeah. Liam Cohen comes over to serve as offensive coordinator this season. He is coming off of being the offensive coordinator at Kentucky. But the year before that, he was the quarterback's coach with the Rams. So he is very familiar with Sean McVay, very familiar with this offense, very familiar with how McVay wants to do things from a system standpoint. So again, he was gone last year to Kentucky as offensive coordinator, but he's back after being the Rams quarterback coach in 2020. Raheem Morris back as defensive coordinator as well. On the inside of things, not a lot. I mean, listen, the only real three impact players they signed Allen Robinson, Bobby Wagner, and Troy Hill, they got via trade. So, I mean, listen, this is, those are three very big impact players. Don't get me wrong. You add a Bobby Wagner on the defensive side. You add an Allen Robinson on the wide, at the wide receiver position. You add Troy Hill into the secondary. Those are three big impact players. That said, you do lose some impact players along the way as well. Von Miller's gone. You lost Sebastian Joseph Day off that defensive line. You lost Austin Corbett off the offensive line. Darius Williams is playing corner elsewhere. Sonny Michelle, not that running backs matter all that much, but he's gone. You got Johnny Hecker, the best, best passing cor- uh, kicker in all of the NFL <laughs> uh, who's, gonna, who's, who's out as well. He is no longer there. And unlike a lot of teams because the Rams went all in and hey, it worked it paid off they won the super bowl but unlike a lot of teams where we see a lot of these big name guys go steven we go to the draft and we say okay well you know here's where they went to replenish well the rams didn't have a first round pick the rams didn't have a second round pick right so they didn't have a first they didn't have a pick until they get to the third round where they took offensive guard logan bruss who by the way might have to end up starting for this team as a rookie with the way that the offensive line has started to shake out for them because andrew whitworth retired as well um which is a big loss for a team which is again not, not a guy going elsewhere or, or or getting traded but still when you retire that is a loss as well so um lots of guys out not a ton of guys in but i do like the guys that they do brought in listen i think you are of the same line mindset as me we're gonna find out if alan robinson is actually any good or not because this is the first time in his career he's actually played with a good quarterback and so you know i I have fairly high hopes for what Allen Robinson still is as a player. He's not incredibly old yet, and he is stepping into about the best situation ever because he doesn't have to be the absolute number one because we know that that's Cooper Cup. His props were only the second player I found that I want to bet the overs on going into the season. Football's a violent sport. I didn't do as well with overs last year as I did on unders going in, so shifting my strategy there. We're talking about a, a player in Allen Robinson who has seasons of 1,100, 1,200, and more than 1,400 yards in his career despite horrific quarterback play. And his over-under for yards is set at 850. His touchdown prop, I kind of like too, at over six and a half. This is a Rams offense that going from Goff to Stafford was among the most aggressive passing the ball in the NFL last year. Stafford was fourth in red zone passing rate. He was second in pass rate 
inside the 10-yard line. He was first in pass rate inside the five-yard line. And the Rams, 79.7% of their offensive touchdowns last year were passing touchdowns, number one in the NFL. So I think that this is way too low on Allen Robinson going into the season. Mm -hmm. Robert Woods was on pace to break 850 yards last year in this offense before he tore his ACL. He was on pace to do it in only 14 games. So I like these numbers on Allen Robinson. And I think you can make an argument. Now, we can have a narrative debate here on whether or not Mm -hmm. him playing like crap and on a bad team last year makes him eligible for comeback player of the year in the minds of the voters uh, because it's usually an injury thing. But 30 to one on Allen Robinson for comeback player of the year. The Rams, as you would imagine, with a team like this, with going kind of all in, being the returning champion, their best number you can find on them to win the Super Bowl is 12 to 1. Right now, they are they are sitting right there, kind of the same number you can find the Packers and the Chiefs and the Chargers, kind of they're in that little range right there as far as Super Bowl favorites go. Steven, I get it. I understand why they're the number that they're at. I look at this division as well. I think it's a two-team division, two-and-a-half-team division. So I get it from that standpoint as well. You're getting two free wins against the Seahawks for sure. The Cardinals, where are they at? What are they going to look like the second half of the season? Are they going to fade like they have so many times before? So I understand the numbers here with the squad. And if you kind of look at the projections, they're projected to be very, very good again. In those million projections that Football Outsiders does, they have them as the fourth overall team DVOA, the ninth best offense, the fifth best defense. So, you know, again, they have them being very, very, very good. And a lot of that has to do with the units that are out there that are still really good. I mean, yes, you lose an Andrew Whitworth. That is never good for an offensive line. But this Joseph Noteboom guy who when he did when when he was forced into playing last season actually performed very, very well. So you kind of have a top 10 ish borderline offensive line as we head into the season. You've got a top 10 for sure, maybe even top five if Allen Robinson is still Allen Robinson pass catching group because you have Cooper Cup, you have Allen Robinson and then you have Tyler Higby, who's kind of an underrated tight end. Van Jefferson's going to be back in a few weeks. Tutu Atwell is kind of running at the number three right now, who apparently, for, again, it's everybody looks awesome season, but I mean, apparently looks really great <laughs> in training camp and is, is doing very well for them. The defensive line is, I mean, listen, you've got Aaron Donald, so that's all I need to say, but then, oh, by the way, Leonard Floyd, Sean Robinson, Greg Gaines, Justin Hollins, these are all guys that are going to rotate in, keep that line fresh, and, and allow Aaron Donald to be the beast that he is on that lineup, if you have Donald Robinson and Gaines on the line on the line at the same time, Stephen, you have the number one, eleven, and twenty-seven defensive linemen graded by Pro Football Focus last season in all of the NFL. You have one, eleven, and twenty-seven on the same defensive line going at it every single time. They're going to cause all kinds of havoc. And then, of course, the secondary still has Jalen Ramsey. They added Troy Hill. You've got a Taylor Rapp and a Jordan Fuller. So um, it's it's hard to poke holes here in this Rams team, really top to bottom outside of, you know, are, is there more to this Matthew Stafford thing than we think? I think probably not. But if you look at the secondary solid, defensive line solid, offensive line solid, pass catcher solid, it's, it's like, where do you tell me that this team is going to go awry, you know? 
For sure. Yeah. I obviously all of this is contingent on Stafford being healthy. So that's yeah. that's what I'm operating on. But you mentioned the defensive line, the secondary as well, not just Jalen Ramsey. I think Troy Hill is in line for a bounce back season. He had a grade of just 53 in coverage with Cleveland last year, but with the Rams the year before, a grade of 76. And then they have another cornerback, David Long, who is a top 32 corner in terms of adjusted yards allowed per snap. So uh three deep at the cornerback position on top of their elite defensive line and people keep asking like how are the Rams doing this how do they give up all their draft picks and still fall under the salary cap and we've talked on previous podcasts about the cheat code that is rookie contracts now Matthew Stafford isn't that but he's not expensive either the Rams are only the 19th ranked team in the NFL in quarterback spending they're also outside the top 20 in running back spending that's a pretty good start right there to be able to afford your other positions and other elite talent which they have So the other question that people keep bringing up, and it's really hard to to predict this, but the Rams have just been incredibly healthy under Sean McVay. Mm -hmm. And can they continue to do it? They have been top 10 all four years over the past four uh, in terms of of not missing guys in games due to injury. And our our new injury expert, Will Carroll, has a good relationship with that staff. And he's told us that the Rams medical staff is elite, one of the best in the NFL in terms of maintenance for their players. They have a system down that they've done year over the year. And I think it would be ignorant to say that's not at least playing a, a some part in them being able to stay healthy throughout the season um, and 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 be a little bit more lucky, quote unquote, than other teams. So I'm not going to just immediately assume that there's going to be negative regression for the Rams with injuries going into this season because they've maintained this level of health for four years now. And the other side of this too, Matt, they might actually get some positive regression. They were actually a little unlucky on the field last year. They were only plus two in turnovers and they were 26th in fumble luck. So you could actually see better results from the Rams this year if, if things go their way. So I was having yeah, a hard, they, I think the Yeah, go ahead. I think the only knock is the schedule. I think the only knock is yeah, the, it's the tough. second toughest schedule. It's the second toughest schedule in the NFL heading into the season. Now, it's fortunate when you're one of the best teams in the NFL to navigate through a difficult schedule. But, you know, Bills in week one, you got to go at Tampa in week nine. You got to go at New Orleans in week 11. You got to go at Kansas City in week 12. And then you go at Green Bay in week 15. And so there's that stretch there outside of the Bills in week one. But you're looking between nine and 15 where you got to go cross country to Tampa, cross country to New Orleans. Then you got to go to Kansas City. Then you got to go back a, a couple of weeks later to Green Bay. So there are some things in that schedule where you're like, hey, look, if they're if they're not playing their absolute best or football at the time maybe there's a trip up or two somewhere along the way so again if we're if we're trying to nitpick if we want to pick anything apart with this team it could just be the difficulty of that schedule the 49ers have a question at quarterback which we'll get into but I think top to bottom roster wise you can make an argument that the two best rosters in the conference are the Rams and the 49ers with the age of the Bucks right now so um, yeah I think it's going to be a bloodbath here I can't I couldn't find any reason to, to fade them at a plus number to win the division. I don't know if we're going to get much better price after the first week of the season, but if, if they lose to the Bills and the Niners beat a cupcake week one, maybe we get a little bit better number on the Rams. But um, just on paper going into this season, 
it's hard for me to to nitpick this Rams team like I did last year and they go on all the way to win the Super Bowl. So I think that McVay is is sharp when it comes to game planning. I think he completely went back to what he wants to do with a quarterback that he trusts last year. I mean, Matthew Stafford was double what Jared Goff was on yards per attempt on deep drops and deep passes. They went from a negative EPA per attempt to a positive on play action going from Goff to Stafford. Stafford was top five in EPA per attempt without play action. And Sean McVay went back to using a lot more one tight end, one running back personnel groupings, went from 60% to 87% last season with Stafford under center. So that, that allows them to disguise runs more often, lighter boxes for the run when you have three wide receivers on the field. So from a game planning perspective, McVay is, is one of the best. The only thing I'd like to see more of is that he needs to be a little bit more aggressive on fourth downs, I think. They had 10 opportunities to go for it on fourth down in the six games they lost last year, and he only went for it twice. So, and that, those were fourth and five or shorter. So th- that's kind of where I'm at. I think from a from a game planning, he's great. I think in game, he could be a little bit better. But I mean, if we're trying to poke holes in this roster, it's kind of a stretch. Yeah, it's really tough. Again, plus 125, the best number you can get on them to win the West. If somebody said, hey, I really want to bet on the NFC West. I live out here. I you know, really like football to watch out here. I, if, they, if they told me they wanted to bet on the Rams, I'm not talking them out of it. I, I still think that, you know, yeah, there's some upshot for some of these other teams, but I still think that the Rams are definitely the clear-cut favorite. And just remember, guys, uh, Odell does loom. He is, he is still yep. a free agent. There's a high likelihood that, the Rams would just take him back because, you know, the devil, you know, stuff like that situation. So again, they could have a, they could have a guy that comes in and just, you know, more of a red zone presence, I think at that point for, for uh, Odell Beckham. But again, nice red zone presence to have as you head down the stretch and trying to make a run. All right, let's look at the San Francisco 49ers. And this is a team that finds themselves as the second favorite here in the NFC West. A plus 180 is the best number that you can find on them. Should you want to bet them to win the NFC West? If you want them to win the whole damn thing, best number you're going to be able to find is 17 to 1 out there on this 49ers team. We know now this is for sure Trey Lance's team. So that is no question whatsoever. We don't have to worry about that. Bobby Slowick is a pass game coordinator. Chris Forster's the run game coordinator, but we know Kyle Shanahan calls the shots on the offensive side of things. D'Amico Ryan's back as defensive coordinator. And, you know, I don't have to tell you this, Stephen, but for all the Jimmy G talk, and everyone knows I'm a Jimmy G hater and, and all that, for all the Jimmy G talk, they're 35 and 16 with him, and they're 8 and 28 without him. So the numbers do kind of speak for themselves as to what this team is with and without Jimmy Garoppolo on the field. They've made the decision it is going to be without Jimmy Garoppolo this year. It is going to be Trey Lance. What have they done to help him out? Well, look, they signed Traverius Ward on the defensive side of the ball. They signed Oren Burks on the defensive side of the ball. They signed George Odom on the defensive side of the ball. And you're saying, wait a minute, you said to help Trey Lance. But here's the thing. If a if a and I'm using air quotes here, I know he's not a rookie, but I'll for all intents and purposes, he, he's a rookie. I think that you can have a guy that is not constantly playing from behind who can run just the normal offense the way that it's supposed to be run. And I actually think that that is a really good thing, a really big thing 
for a young quarterback. So I bring up the Ward and the Burks and the Odom and then even, you know, Kamiko Ture on the defensive line. They did sign. They brought in Robert Kimdichie. If he, if he has anything left in the tank or not, nobody has any idea. Hassan Ridgeway, another couple, another couple defensive linemen that may or may not end up making the team, may or may not end up in the rotation there. Ray Ray McLeod at wide receiver, Malik Turner at wide receiver as well, adding to what was already a stellar pass catching group for this team. Now they did lose Arden Key, DJ Jones, Lakin Tomlinson off that offensive line being gone is certainly a huge deal. Contavia Street and Edge Rushers gone. Raheem Mostert's out of town. Jaquiski Tart is out of town as well. So it's not like they did all bringing in and nothing was going out. It's a it was a pretty much kind of a one for one trade here. But Steven I look at this roster. Didn't have a first round pick, so they get Drake Jackson defensive end in the second round. Tyrion Davis Price a running back out of LSU in the third round. Danny Gray who's made a couple of preseason plays for them at wide receiver in the third round as well so I look at this roster and like you said you mentioned we were talking about the Rams overall top to bottom it's a pretty good looking roster so long as some of these guys just continue to kind of progress as we have seen over the last couple of years it is a Super Bowl roster if they can get Jimmy G production out of Trey Lance. And I think obviously they can add some rushing element there and off script plays that Jimmy G couldn't do. So I think it's full disclosure. I am a 49ers fan. I've been trying to figure this out for years of whether or not it's Kyle Shanahan or whether he needs Jimmy Garoppolo, because you mentioned the stat of their record without Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think that's pretty much every NFL team when you get to the backup quarterback short of Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl. So I think there is a level of talent that is required for Kyle Shanahan to start pulling the puppet master strings and get something out of this because Jimmy G may have been first in the NFL in yards per attempt, but he was 42nd in air yards, which tells you that Shanahan is scripting this up and scheming this up for short and intermediate passes to get the most out of his, his amazingly good yards after catch pass options and George Kittle, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. So, and for what it's worth, small sample size in 71 pass attempts from Trey Lance last year his yak per completion was at 7.0 which was even higher than Jimmy G's so he I think he is capable of at least operating the same offense that they did with Jimmy but potentially being better on the deep passes the 49ers have had a quarterback in the top five in expected completion percentage in every Kyle Shanahan season and that included seasons where they were trotting out Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard so he is an offensive game planning master and now we have a situation with Trey Lance where I think the market is down on this guy the only bet I really found in the 49ers market that I was attracted to was Trey Lance over 3300 passing yards if he misses two games that's still only 220 passing yards per game that's like bottom of the barrel in modern NFL and the 49ers averaged 237 per game last year and again a number that has been reached by a Kyle Shanahan offense in every single season he's been in the NFL if you go by combined quarterback yardage they've had more than 4,000 passing yards every season in Kyle Shanahan's tenure in San Francisco so I think 3,300 for Trey Lance is a pretty low bar to clear here and I think that he he can do enough for this offense with a roster that is Super Bowl ready Um, We're looking at the 13th easiest schedule 
in the league, and you can tell by the Football Outsiders' projections as just to the wide range of outcomes due to the play of Trey Lance because they have them falling six to eight wins in 34% of the simulations, and obviously those would be the, hey, Trey Lance has bad seasons and he's not ready for the NFL seasons, but then they also have them with nine or more wins 54% of the time as well. So that would be, oh, never mind. Trey Lance plays as, you know, up to his potential or at least close to his potential. So those are those simulations. So you can kind of tell pretty wide range of outcomes here for this squad. And so it does come down to the quarterback play, you know, really and truly a ton. I hate, I hate like falling to that crutch, but look, he's going to have a decent offensive line. You got a very good tackle combo with Trent Williams grading out as the number one tackle out of 83 qualifiers last, last year. So, Hey, you give a young quarterback a great left tackle. That's a pretty good start. We know the receiving core, as we just mentioned, Debo, finally happy. Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. What are you going to get from Danny Gray? Even Jerron Jennings is another guy that's going to, you know, could get some action for them as well. It's a really good pass catching core. The defensive line bolstered by Nick Bosa, as we know. But hey, you still have Eric Armstead. You got Drake Jackson. You got Ibukam. You got Hyder. I mean, there's a lot of different guys that can rotate in there to, to help keep the pressure off of Nick Bosa and allow him to do his thing. And then the secondary should be middle-ish of the pack. You know, I don't think it's going to be extraordinary, but you do add Traverius Ward, who does a big step up at corner for them. Emmanuel Mosley, Jason Verrett, you got Jimmy Ward at safety. So there are some players there as well. So we've talked about this roster. You talk about Trey Lance. Can he succeed here? I'll tell you the bet that I made, and I think it's a bet that is still a bet that, you know, listen, if you want to have it in your account, it'd be hard for me to talk you off of it on this squad. And I bet Trey Lance for MVP. And I know that seems insanity. Uh, The number I did get was a a little bit longer than the number that's available now. But even with that, Stephen, I I sit here and I take a look. And again, you can look up all of these different little things. We have the prop finder button right there. If you're doing it from the web, if you're doing it from mobile, just go to odds and it'll say prop finder tool up there as well. So be sure and click those things to uh, to look up. But I mean, you can find the very best price on any of these players. Whenever we are trying to get the very best number on these future bets, you can still find a 40 to one and multiple books. DraftKings Caesars are out there for Trey Lance to win the MVP. And we talk about, we always want to make bets where there's a clear path to this actually taking place. Well, the the way that this takes place is the 49ers overtake the defending Super Bowl champion and win this division. And if that's the case, Stephen, Trey Lance is going to have a very, very big part of that happening. He's going to have a very, very big part of that being a team that has to finish with Let's say let's say the Rams are down and a down year air quote for the Rams is probably going to be 10 they wins. They get some injuries. So that could help. Yeah, so if they have 10 so if they have 10 wins and yet somehow the 49ers come out on top in this division, that means we're talking about a 12 win team but more likely mm-hmm. than not. So you have a Trey Lance led 49ers team that went 12 and 5 in the regular season. He is going to be in the thick of the MVP talk if he, if they go 12 and 5 and take down the Rams in the NFC West. And so I understand. Is it likely? It's not likely, but it's still a very long number. Even today's number, I think mine was at 60, but even at 40, there is a very clear path to this manifesting. And those are the type of futures tickets that I like to have in my account. And again, not out of the realm of possibility for this very talented 49ers team. Like you said, a couple of key injuries here and there on the Rams side of things. 
And then now we're talking about the 49ers winning this division. You've kind of summed up exactly what I thought my opinion of this 49ers team was when I first started studying them is that with, with changing from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance, the, the floor is lower, but the ceiling is certainly higher. The range of outcomes is a lot wider with this team. And to your point, they have the talent all around him. And I do think there actually could be some positive regression for the 49ers this season as well. They've been one of the top 10 most injured teams all five years under Kyle Shanahan. You would think at some point that's got to go right. their way. They went five and five last year and 13 and 13 in one score games the last three seasons. And that included one in five versus Seattle the last three years. So again, reasons why you should be optimistic that they could do better than they've done in the win column in recent years. And for Trey Lance starting out, he caught a break on the schedule because out of the first six games, they play the Bears, the Seahawks, the Panthers, and the Falcons in four of those first six. And from week seven onward, the team caught a break in terms of travel. They don't travel east of Arizona from week seven on. That's that's pretty fortunate. There are no cross country wet trips for the 49ers for the rest of the season going into the postseason. So uh, some reasons to be optimistic for sure. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I think that this there's I think Trey Lance is more likely to be better than what this offense was with Jimmy Garoppolo because he potentially opens up some rushing attack and he also opens up the deep ball attack, which they absolutely didn't do with Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, 42nd in air yards was Jimmy Garoppolo last Mm -hmm. year. So um, very, very bullish on this 49ers team. And I think if people want to fade Trey Lance and we're getting some favorable spreads early in the season, I'm going to be on that. Yep. Uh, last thing I'll bring up, just if you did want to, if you are bullish on this 49er team, and if you do think that this roster lives up to potential, an all over on this yeah. team, if you went with over, if you went with over 11, you're getting right at two to one on the over 11. Again, 11 and six pushes you. So, I mean, it's not like it's, you're not going to lose if they go 11 and six. But if, if we're talking about they hit the ceiling, like we're talking about, a, uh, a 12 win season pays you at two to one on the win total as well. So just something to to throw out there if you are super bullish. That last note on, on this, this team, I would just want to mention, mm-hmm. do not forget that this roster was three points away from going to the Super Bowl with an injured Jimmy Garoppolo. He had thumb injury in the last four games of the season that he was taking shots in to be functional. And then he also picked up a shoulder injury in the last game as well. So don't forget that they were that close to going to the Super Bowl with that much of an injury-flawed quarterback. Let's talk a little Arizona Cardinals, and this one's fairly interesting. Cliff Kingsbury back, of course, as head coach. Is he going to be back next season if this team finishes up again like they did last season? That is to be determined. No offensive coordinator there because he does that all. Vance Joseph is your defensive coordinator. DeAndre Hopkins suspended for the first six games of the season for a performance-enhancing drug. So what do they do? They go out and trade for Hollywood Brown because they lose uh, they lose Christian Kirk in free agency. So Hollywood Brown, at least for six weeks, is going to have to try and be the number one wide receiver in Arizona. They bring in Will Hernandez to play right guard. They bring in Nick Vigil at the linebacker position. They bring in Daryl Williams at running back for some depth there for them as well. 
There are some big names that are out of town, most notably edge rusher Chandler Jones and wide receiver Christian Kirk. But don't let it don't let it go under the radar here that Jordan Phillips on the defensive line is gone. Jordan Hicks at the linebacker position is gone. Chase Edmonds at the running back position is gone. So there are a lot of different things that are going to have to get figured out for this squad because a lot of big time contributors are no longer in town. This is yet another team that didn't have a first-round pick, so they come back in the second round. They take Trey McBride, who a tight end. They take defensive end Cameron Thomas in the third, and they take another defensive end and Majai Sanders in the third round as well. They didn't have a fourth or a fifth-round pick, so no first round, no fourth, no fifth. So they had to do their damage in the second and third where they had one second and two third-round picks. So that's kind of what we're looking at here with this squad, Stephen. Uh, Kyler Murray... There was some talk that maybe he was going to be angry. He gets paid, so he should be happy. There should be no drama for this team surrounding as we enter the season. We've known for a long time DeAndre Hopkins was going to be suspended. They've known for a long time DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended. So that is all baked into the numbers at this point. That's not any. That's not sneaking up on anybody out there. So if you did want to come in, and back this squad to, to to win the whole thing. You know, if you think that they are going to kind of defy everything and win the whole thing, the best number you're going to find on the Cardinals, 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. If you want them to win the NFC West, like we're talking about right now, the best number you're going to get is 4 to 1. I, I, I'll have to admit, this is, this is one of the most confusing teams for me, Stephen, that there is. I mean, it's... You look at you look at the uh, the the talent here, and you start to you really just start to nitpick everything, right? It's like offensive line should be w- one of the ten worst in the in the NFL. The defensive line outside of JJ Watt has absolutely nothing now that Chandler Jones is gone. So I mean, it should be because there it's going to go back to the same thing we saw with JJ Watt in Houston at the end. He's going to get double and triple teamed, and so it's just going to he's going to make no impact on the defensive line. The secondary is kind of is kind of middle of the pack to worse. You know, I mean, it should be probably in the bottom 10, 12 in the league as well. Yet. We still have a team that their projection is basically right at 500. People are talking about, hey, if things broke their way, they could actually win this division. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not a Cliff Kingsbury guy. I'm not really a Kyler Murray guy. You got to play six games without one of the top five wide receivers in all the NFL with an offensive line that's probably going to be worse, a defensive line that's probably going to be worse, a secondary that's not very good. I mean, where do we start finding the bright spots here? Uh, Kyler Murray? end of list i mean it's it's yeah. it's tough man i first of all i do think the roster is worse than it was last year you mentioned the secondary i th- i think it could be one of the worst i mean byron murphy was 49th out of 93 cornerbacks last year and adjusted yards allowed per snap marco wilson was 90th out of 93 in that same stat so i'm not seeing the upside on the back end there you mentioned the losses up front in the front seven Overall, this team is behind the Vikings and basically tied with the Saints. If you look at odds to make the playoffs to get that seventh spot, those three, basically, if you look at the odds, are competing for the seventh and final playoff spot in the NFC and the Cardinals are at plus money. So do with that information what you want. But Matt, could it be as simple 
as if Kyler Murray is healthy, this is a playoff team. And if Kyler Murray is playing hurt or missing games, this is not a playoff team because this is now two consecutive seasons where if you look at the splits from before an injury and after an injury, it was stark. In 2020, he had a shoulder sprain from week one to 11. He was top 10 in both success rate and EPA per drop back uh, in weeks 12 through 17 that year. Bottom six in EPA per play and success rate. Bottom seven in drop back EPA, 20th in drop back success rate. Last year, they start 7-0. and They have a primetime game against the Green Bay Packers who are ravaged by COVID. He suffers an ankle sprain late in that game from week one to eight the cardinals offense was top six in both epa per play and success rate kyler was top five among drop back epa and success rate he was having an elite season where he was entering the mvp conversation from week nine through 18 arizona dropped to 14th and 11th in epa and success rate 13th and 12th and drop back EPA and success rate. And now there were some backup quarterbacks in there. But if you just look at Kyler, 24th in that span and completion percentage over expectation. So the defense is blitzed more when he was hurt with that ankle. He was pressured a lot more despite not holding the ball as long. And his deep ball became neutralized. 15 yard throws downfield went from a 57% success rate before the injury to just 36 after the injury. And it showed up on the record seven and zero before two and five with Kyler the rest of the season. Is it that simple that it's whether Kyler is healthy or not, that this is a playoff team or not? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because you also look at last year. So DeAndre Hopkins played in 10 games in the 10 games. DeAndre Hopkins played in the offense was fourth in EPA per play. Every other game that he didn't play, obviously, the other seven games, they were 18th in the league in EPA per play. So it's like here the thing that you don't get with a guy like DeAndre Hopkins sometimes is these counting stats because you look and you look at his stat sheet and you say like, what are you talking about? They were fourth in EPA per play. Look at what he did. He didn't do all that much. Yeah, but you have to account for DeAndre Hopkins, right? I mean, that's the thing. You have to account for him. And what that does is open up the offense for everybody else. And so when DeAndre Hopkins on the field, it's a game changer. Well, we know for sure He's not going to be out there for the first six games of the season. And so this team is likely to be worse. This offensive line, if you take a look, I understand Kyler Murray does is able to do stuff with his legs. But Justin Pugh, Rodney Hudson, Kelvin Beecham, these guys are all on the bad side of their career arc. You know, I mean, like in the father, there are not very many Andrew Whitworths out there, right? That can play at a high level into their late thirties. That just doesn't happen very often. So we're, we're likely to see an, a decline on this offensive line just because, again, those guys are older. J.J. Watt has nobody else to protect him now on that defensive line, so he's going to get that double-team treatment that he got in Houston again. So he was awesome when healthy, 18.3% pass rush win rate when he was healthy, which is fifth amongst all defensive linemen. But the problem is, is now Chandler Jones is gone, so everyone's going to go, oh, well, he's the only guy that can do anything to us, so we're going to double-team him, and if you can beat our guys one-on-one, the rest of you idiots out there, then fine. That's what will allow to happen. And as you mentioned, the secondary, Murphy, Wilson, Hamilton, Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, I mean, they're all either bad or old. And so I actually think this team could be exponentially worse this year. 
And I am on the big time no train from a playoff perspective. I do think that when it all comes down to it, the Saints are probably better. I do think that maybe there's a couple of teams that if we if we think that there's upside to them, that they could end up being better as well. So I got to admit, man, I'm pretty down on this squad. I tried to find different ways to, you know, I tried to find different ways to maybe give some some upside here. I mean, the, the upside would just be that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be back for game seven. You know, I mean, that is an upside at least for this team. But for me, it's a no on kind of the, the season long outlook. I don't even want to play them at four to one to win the division. Cause I think if it's not the Rams, it's the Niners. I don't yep. think that it's the Cardinals coming out of nowhere to win this division. So just, just not for me. I, if anything, you can get a minus minus one fifty on the no for this team to make the playoffs. I think that would be the bet that I would make if I had to make a bet on the Arizona Cardinals as we head into 2022. They were also historically lucky in terms of turnovers last year. The offense had 26 fumbles and recovered 23 of them. Like that that's off the charts unprecedented stuff. So that's that's not going to go their way this year. They have four games on the schedule with a rest disadvantage and the NFL's most difficult schedule from week 10 onwards. So if we're worried about like Cliff Kingsbury's second half of the season, not able to make adjustments and game plan and other superior coaches being able to neutralize what he does, their schedule from week 10 onward at the Rams, home against the 49ers, home against the Chargers, home against Bill Belichick at Denver, right? home against the Bucks at Atlanta, at San Francisco. Other than Atlanta, those are all games that they could totally lose. So this is yeah. tough. And listen, yeah, and these projections aren't everything, you know, I mean, but again, they just give us at least a baseline of what a computer thinks that could happen here, given the talent on the field. Football Outsiders, again, in one million projections of the 2022 season, has this team as the 21st overall DVOA, 17th offense, and 28th mm. defense. So, you know, it just, it's one of those things where, and it's, it's, not, it's not the end-all be-all. They certainly could o- overperform what we think here. But again, I'm I'm out on the Cardinals, and if anything, it'd be a no on the playoffs. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES, and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 5 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Seattle Seahawks. This probably ain't going to take us very long, Stephen. Um... Seattle Seahawks, it's still Pete Carroll. Um, they did they did promote Clint Hurt from uh, defensive line coach to be the defensive coordinator, so they did at least make one shakeup on the uh, coaching staff there. Shane Waldron is back as offensive coordinator. As we know, Russell Wilson gone, Drew Locke in, Shelby Harris is gone, Is I mean, is in via trade. You also got Quentin Jefferson, Noah Fant is in via trade as well. Justin Coleman at, at uh, corner and also Artie Burns at corner. 
out. The biggest names, of course, being Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner gone. DJ Reed is also gone. Carlos Dunlap is gone. You got Kerry Hyder who's gone. Ethan Pochick is gone. So there's a lot of guys that left this team as well. Whenever they kind of saw the trajectory of where this thing was going, they decided to head elsewhere and get out of town. Now, they did have what I consider to be, if there is an upside to this team, would be a pretty good draft. Charles Cross in the first round, a guy that everybody thinks could be a, a beast for a decade plus on the offensive line. They got Boye Mafe, a defensive end. Of course, we just mentioned all the all the defensive players that left this team, namely Carlos Dunlap, Bobby Wagner, needed to replace them, so he comes in. But here's you know the most the most Seahawks thing, the most Pete Carroll thing ever. A roster that is so incredibly depleted, maybe one of the worst rosters in all of the NFL, and you spend your second, second-round pick on a on a running back in Kenneth Walker. And I think Kenneth Walker's fine, Stephen. I think he's pro- a, a good running back and should have a good NFL career. But when your roster is so talent-depleted like the Seahawks is, to spend a second-round pick on a running back is just so egregious and lets you know the state of this organization Right now, they get another offensive tackle in the third round. They get a corner in the fourth round. But boy, you look at this team and I want you to try and tell me what we're looking at from an upside perspective, because I literally find zero upside with this team. And people are going to say, hey, look, there's always upside if you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett at wide receiver. Not if there's not somebody that can actually throw them the ball. I mean, like wide receivers are only as good as the guy that can put it in at least somewhere in their catching radius, right? Like that has to be somewhere around there. And I know for a fact that Drew Locke can't do that on a consistent basis. We've seen enough of him to know that. And if you have to go with Geno Smith. Lord help this organization. I am so, so, so incredibly down on this. You see this tweet from Lewis Riddick quote. I'm going to say what I have been saying for a while. Now the Seahawks are building something special. It's been too obvious to me made even more obvious seeing it up close today. They just have to figure out that one last position. Obviously he's talking about quarterback. Are we missing something, Matt? Or is Lou Riddick just trying to get a GM job and get out of TV? What are we doing here? Dude, that's just, I mean, it's pure insanity. Look, If we look at these units, right? And again, this is not the end-all be-all. The projection system has a team 30th overall, dead last, 32nd offense, <laughs> 22nd defense. If we go down, 32nd rated offensive line heading into the season according to Pro Football Focus. They are starting rookies at both building something special that building something special like like if yes i guess that is building because you have rookies on the offensive line that two years from now like when we see offensive linemen start to play well they'll be they'll you know they'll be three-year guys at tackle and that'll be great because you have young good young tackles but you're starting two (laughs) rookies at the tackle positions what are these quarterbacks gonna do i mean like it's it's like not even fair to begin the season then you have Gabe Jackson and Damian Lewis at the guard positions who graded out at the at 51st and 57th at the position last building, year respectively. Building. So, I mean, this is the the defensive line dis, did not have a single player graded out higher than a 64 last season. They come in as the 29th graded defensive line heading into the year by Pro Football Focus. And the secondary, with all this talent that is not really there outside of Jamal Adams, is ranked 30th as we head into the season. So again, yes, point to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett all you want, and I agree. That is an awesome receiving duo. You add Noah Fant that maybe could live up to his potential. He never really did in Denver, but maybe he can. 
in Seattle. You got a pretty good trio then at that point. I will give you that. Steven, who gets them the ball on a consistent basis, not only from a talent perspective with Drew Locke or Geno Smith, but trying to throw the ball behind the worst offensive line in all the NFL and two rookie tackles. This is not fair for any either one of these quarterbacks and not fair for DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett for all the stuff like that. So I just it's it's nearly impossible for me to try to find a bright spot and try to find a way that this team is not one of the very worst teams in the NFL. Come Greg January. Olson had a cup of coffee there and then went back to being a TV analyst. He said, quote, the ideology there was always defense first, kicking game, punt the ball, field position, force turnovers, play defense first, then hand the ball to Russell Wilson at the end of the game and say, <laughs> go be magic, end quote. So, I mean, that's yeah. this is the mentality we're dealing with here. So the front office is stupid. They are top five in the league in running back spending and bottom 11 in spending on quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, and cornerback. Those positions are kind of a big deal when you're trying to draft and and get better. Pete Carroll is stupid. First down run rate last year increased from 31% to 35%. Those runs went from a 36% success rate to a 30% success rate. In 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field, went from a 35% success rate to a 23% success rate. Despite these decreases in efficiency, Pete Carroll ran the ball 27 more times on first down rush plays last year than he did the year before. He is banging his head against the wall. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. They can't figure out that they don't know what they don't know. Oh, it's for sure. Hey, listen, here's the other thing. They've replaced the offensive coordinator twice in his tenure, uh, Stephen, and do you want to know the interesting thing whenever they resp- whenever they have uh, replaced the offensive coordinator? Can I guess they ran year? the ball more or it something, or they passed it actually well the year before? No, they, they passed it more. They passed it more. They, there was a slight uptick in passing percentage, and then the guy's <laughs> out of town the next year because it's because that doesn't fly with 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 Pete Carroll, and so. Here we are again. I'll tell you guys, I bet the I bet an alt under on this team. I bet alt under five. If you search around, you can find it. It's it's four and a half at some places. You can find a five, so you can at least get a push if they end up five and eleven. I took the alt under. I love this bet, Steven. Find me the wins for this team. Oh, yeah. On the schedule. They are going to be dogs. They are going to be dogs. My guess is is they are going to be dogs in every single game they play because they're going to be that bad. They might be favorites in a game or two all season long. All season long. And they are going to not have the talent in order to win football games. I love the alt-under. I got 2-1 to one on the alt-under for this team to have four or fewer wins. If it's a five, it's a push for me. I love this bet. I feel great about this bet. It doesn't do this team any good further once we get down the stretch. And listen, you and I know the players are always going to play hard. The coaches are always going to coach hard. The 
front office is going to do what the front office needs to do to make this team better. It doesn't, it's not going to behoove this team to win games down the stretch after they're already miserably, uh, miserably bad. They're, they're going to need to draft a franchise quarterback. They are going to need to get one of these top guys that's coming out this year in what looks to be a stellar quarterback crop for the draft that's coming up. So, it doesn't it doesn't even they don't even want to win games down the stretch because you want one of those top picks so you can get the quarterback that you want to build around if they are building, as Lewis Reddick <laughs> says, and during, you know, via tweet, as you said. So if they are building, you gotta have a quarterback to build around. And so they need to be at the top of the draft. So I this I think this team this team and the Bears, I think, are the worst two teams in the NFL. I think they will be battling for the worst records in the NFL. And it would not surprise me at all if it ends up. Being you mentioned the alt under. You could still, if you're, if you don't want to be that aggressive, you could still find plus one twenty on under five and a half, and still cash it at five wins. Oh, I mean, oh baby, yes. that sounds juicy to me. And then on top of that, just to tell everybody, explain how difficult the schedule is because it doesn't quite measure as one of the top ten hardest by opponent win totals. But when you're comparing it against the Seahawks, my God, where are the wins? Of their 17 games, Mm -hmm. 10 are against the AFC West, twice against the 49ers, twice against the Rams, the Chargers, the Bucks, and we haven't even mentioned trips to Arizona and New Orleans yet. That would make 12 of 17 games. So the market I kind of like, you want to get even more aggressive than your alt-under, you're getting more than double the odds of Atlanta and Houston for the Seahawks to have the worst record at 9-1. to Nine to one that they have the worst record. So I mean, it's a crapshoot on who's going to be in that in that group. But that that price seems off to me, Matt. Absolutely, I love that one as well. I might go try to find that one to get into the account as well. I am I am not more bearish on any team in the NFL <laughs> than I am the Seattle Seahawks as we enter this football season. All right, if you stuck with us this long, real quick, we're going to do some BMW Championship for you guys. Um, hit another outright this past week. So, Stephen, things are uh, – this has been a phenomenal call. You've been amazing, season. dude. Like, it's, it's been, been incredible. So this, this has been so – this has been so good. I, I don't – it's it, – I know it's all going to come crashing down next year, but holy mackerel, these, these last two golf seasons have been so amazing. So, Wilmington Country Club, we've never seen it before on tour, completely – Completely new to us. 68 runners, supposed to be 72, two guys not going to go. So 68 runners, no cut event. It's a super long course, 7,534 yards. One of the longest courses we've seen in a while. Par 71, what we get though is a little bit of a unique setup. We do get the three par fives on this setup. So it's just, it's a fewer par four. So it's four, four threes, 11 fours, and then three fives. Big grass greens. Like you're going to hear about the rough being four inches long, but it's bluegrass as opposed to being Bermuda or any of these other like thicker, like thicker grasses. So it's actually not that bad. Like it's going to sound bad because you're going to hear four inch rough, but like bluegrass is super thin and these guys are so good. Like they'll they'll cut through that. It's not going to be that big of a deal. Um, The course, tons and tons of bunkers, massive, huge greens. So greens and regulation. Don't really worry about that this week because everybody's going to hit the greens they are huge. They are elevated. They do have a ton of slopes and things like that that they're going to have to deal with. Only four holes with water danger, but there is some interesting kind of positioning of that water on those four holes, some of them on approach shots. So we actually could see water come in play here uh, over the course of this. 
Eight of the par fours are under 450 yards. So we actually have some short par fours, but then we have some massive par fives and massive par threes. So two of the par fives are over 630 yards. Three of the par threes are over 230 yards. So that's where the length really does balance out here on this course. So Stephen, for me, if people want to go do their research, I'll tell, I'll tell you where I went with mine and then you can kind of go from there. Driving distance, huge for me. Uh, strokes gained off the tee. This is a, this is going to, I'm playing this as a bomb and gouge course. I could be wrong. And if it play, doesn't play that way, then I'll probably have a bad week, but I'm playing this as a bomb and gouge course. So 35% of weight for me is on driving distance and off the tee. 20% on driving distance and 15% off the tee. 12% on approach, 12% on birdie or better gained. Because again, I think this could be a bomb and gouge could turn into, I'm not going to say necessarily a birdie fest, but certainly people are going to be able to go low out there on this thing. Strokes gain par five, proximity 100 to 125. Those short par fours, we're going to see some really short approach shots out there. And then I did proximity 200 plus because on the super long holes, we're going to see some really long approaches. So I want to see who's good from short, who's good from long. Sansei percentage, because again, tons and tons of bunkers out here. So if you're errant, it's not really the, it's not really the, the, uh, the uh, bluegrass that we're, I'm worried about so much on the tee shots. It's can you save once you get into one of these bunkers that lines the fairways? Three putt avoidance, because these are massive, massive greens. And that did a little bit of tee to green just because I wanted to see who's been playing well tee to green, but it, I did, it didn't factor in all that much, just a 3% into the model there. So that's kind of how I went about it this week. If we go all the way back, cause I wanted to get some long-term results because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm being super thorough with this in such a short field. Um, if we go back 75 rounds, Justin Thomas, Roy McElroy, Will Zalatoris, John Rom, Scotty Scheffler. I, I mean, I'm sure this doesn't surprise anybody. That's your top five. It finishes out Shoffley, Finau, Burns, Young, and Homa. If you go to 50 rounds, McElroy, Thomas, Zalatoris, Scheffler, Young, Finau, Homa, Neiman sneaks into the top 10 there. John Rom in the top 10, and then Burns right outside at 11. And then if you go to the 36th round, McElroy, Thomas, Finau, Zalatoris, Young, Davis, Cam Davis actually slips into the top 10 when you go to the 36th round. Scheffler, Homer, Homa, Shoffley, and then Taylor Pendrith slips into the top 10. Burns also at 11th in the 36th round model. So those are the guys. I think it's going to be a top-heavy tournament. I think it's going to be one of the guys at the top that wins. It's only a 68 runners, so the odds are not going to be super juicy for players this week, Stephen. So I think you just have to understand you can probably only put two or three, four guys maybe outright on your card. If you want to get really wacky, you can probably go five outright guys, but you're not going to get fat numbers on any of these dudes, and it's probably going to be somebody from the top that ends up winning this thing. Probably someone who's pretty good off the tee. Probably someone who's pretty long off the tee. That's kind of my best advice as we head into to, to the I mean, tournament. I've been slightly week. profitable this year, but to hell to what I think, man. You're the money bags this year, man. You've been cashing outrights all over the place. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked John Hasselbauer on our on our course preview earlier this mm-hmm. week. All of those big names at the top of your model are also all shorter than 20 to 1 if you look at the outrights. It's So it's yeah. not easy to decipher who I to know. actually pick of that group. So who did you start your card with and why? Yeah, yeah, I listen, I understand that the the putting has kind of gone all has kind of gone awry for him, but look, I started with Justin Thomas and if you look at this this the the model doesn't lie, right? I mean, I'm just plugging in numbers and they're spitting out what's happening and 
You can go back 75 rounds, which is basically the majority of the season. You can go back 50 rounds. You can go back 36 rounds. And it's Justin Thomas, Justin Thomas, Justin Thomas, Justin Thomas, right? At at, at the top of these models. And he does every single thing well. If you look at the 36-round model, for everything that I put in, the worst he's at in this field is 18th. And that's proximity from 200-plus over the last 36 rounds. And everything else, he's top 15. He's top 10 in the majority of the stats as well. It's just, I, I know there's, he hadn't putted well. I get it. I think Justin Thomas is talented enough to run hot over the course of four weeks. And here's the other thing. It's a no-cut event, Stephen. No-cut events for Justin Thomas. That is where this dude thrives because guess what? If he thinks he's still in it, if he, we know he is one of the dudes that can go super low in any given round. Love Justin Thomas in these short, in, in these short, uh, short field, no cut events. And so I, I love him. It's hard to make a case against Rory. It's hard to make a case against some of these other guys at the top as well, but the shortest guy yeah, I went I took with Rory and one and done, but I, I can't play him at 10 to one with all yeah. these other guys that are playing just as well. Um, I, I opted for Scheffler at 18 to one before his odds shortened after the Cam Smith withdrawal news. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're all good, man. They're all really good. They're all trading wins back yeah. and forth here. So who the hell knows? The only guy I feel really good about outside that top tier of eight that are shorter than 20 to one is Cameron Young. I hope he, his mind hasn't already gone off mm-hmm. to live as what's reportedly happening here. But there's still a lot of money on the line here. And you can count on a, on a few fingers the number of players who have driven the ball better than Cameron Young and driven the ball farther than mm-hmm. Cameron Young. So um, I feel think I got him at 30 to one. The best number is 25. Now um, that's, that's kind of where I started my card Two two guys. I would point out if you do want longer shot tickets, if you're, if you're guys that like to play more lottery type stuff, and I think that's perfectly fine in a tournament like this. I mean, it's not likely to happen, but you don't see fat odds on guys that have had seasons. Like, I mean, listen, we got the best 68 players that are going to be teeing it up this week. I mean, they earn their way here. Uh, two guys that might make my kind of just the the ancillary deal, Cam Davis and Taylor Pendrith. If you look over the last 24 rounds, these guys rank super high for me in the model that I put in. And so they're coming in in pretty decent form. They check a lot of the boxes that I'm looking for here. You can find these guys 75, 80, 90 ish to one, you know, out there. Cam Davis, if you look at this, eighth in this field in driving distance, he's 12th in this field or birdie or better gain, 14th in strokes gained on the par fives. He's fifth in proximity from 200 plus. And remember, these long par fives and these long par threes, that mat- that matters. He's 14th in three putt avoidance on these massive greens that are going to be out there. So there are a lot of things that he, the boxes that he checks along the way here at a ticket that, again, you're going to get 75, 80, 85, 90, something like that on him. And then Taylor Pendrith, fourth in this field in, in driving distance, sixth in strokes gained off the tee, 15th in birdie or better gain, third in strokes gained on par par fives fourth and sand save. So even if he's hitting it way out there and he finds one of these bunkers, he's been very good at, at being able to make sure that those bunkers aren't costing him. And he's been 15th overall T to green as well. So 
uh, you know, again, longer shot dudes that, that if you want to have kind of that lottery ticket in your account as well, that I really do like as well. So, man, Steve and I, I mean, listen, we're, we're at the we're at the home stretch here of the golf season. Hopefully everybody can uh, can really go in and get if you want to build some build a model. I would build a T heavy model this week. Proximity, like a scoring model. I think that this course plays. 16 to 18 yeah. under. I really do. I think this plays 16 to 18 under, and I think guys are going to need to make some birdies out there. And so that's kind of how I'm going about it this week. And, and hopefully I am correct. But as always, listen, get John's picks over on the lines.com, get in the discord, chat some golf. we got an awesome little golf community in there as well. Steven, me, Brett, John, everybody posts our official picks over there in the discord as well. So you'll know what our cards look like. You'd have seen my card last week. I had Will Zalatoris. We hit that outright as well. So you, you get that over there for free in the discord every single week as well. Subscribe, rate, review, whether you're listening to us, whether you're watching us, we do appreciate that as well. For Steven, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys soon.